values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending some time with the show as always. It is, uh, it's always a privilege when you join us. Um, polling is a big part of every campaign. They do internal polling in each one of the campaigns, and then pollsters are counted on by people to tell us kind of what the feelings are based on their research of where the people are on candidates and the issues that we face. It's a big part of what we do here in this business. And one of the ones we rely on the most is OH Predictive Insights and Mike Noble and his group. He joins us now. Uh, Mike, I want to talk about polling moving forward and what you are seeing, if there's anything you can let us in on. But I want to go back to the primary. Uh, you released just recently a press release about what you thought was maybe a glitch in something that one of the races, you got something wrong with one of the candidates. Can you kind of tell us what happened? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Is that, you know, with, you know, polling, especially in this very contentious Republican primaries that we just saw here in Arizona is that, you know, we, we pulled on about six races in total and we got all the winners correct and everything fell in line with what we saw. However, there was one that uh, and the governor's race is that uh, Karen Taylor Robeson's her, you know, uh, level of support on our final poll going into Election Day. We had her at 33 percent and she ultimately finished at 43 percent, which was a, a little bit off. Uh, we're on the other side with Carrie Lake. She, uh, we had her at 51% going into election day. She finished at 48%, which is well within that four-point margin of error. So it absolutely nailed the uh, support in the correct winner in the Govs race. But where I think that, uh, you know, where we underrepresented essentially Karen Taylor Robeson's uh, support uh, on that, uh, you know, on her race, that the support level was not as, as high as she ultimately finished out to. So it was, we did really great, but it wasn't perfect. At the end of the day. Yeah. And what I appreciated about the release was you acknowledging that something happened that was kind of out of line and you didn't get some at least one part of it right. I think that acknowledgement and explaining what happened gives people confidence in the end that this was a mistake or whatever you call it. This was a an anomaly, let's call it. So people can trust, you know, so people going forward can trust the numbers when they see them. Oh, yeah, no, 100 percent. And that's where, I, you know, it's, it's interesting with with polling, because, you know, a lot of these groups have vested interests. We literally do this polling on behalf of Arizonans uh, to actually know, hey, what is the truth of what's going on out there? And what's interesting about polling is that it's held to such a unrealistic standard. But when any you'll see when people get it right, you'll hear them tout about it. But when let's say they, they miss it or maybe it's not as to the level that they want to be at, you notice that there's really no accountability there. And I think that's one of the things that we're attempting to do in the industry is also, uh, you know, recognize that, hey, no one's infallible at the end of the day, but it's also like, hey, where there's opportunity for improvement. And I think when looking more of dissecting of, hey, why was that support underrepresented in that final poll for Karen Taylor Ropes? And there's a couple factors uh, that happened is one is that, uh, you know, $20 million spent by Robeson where Blake had uh, uh, very little compared to that. So there's a heavy outspending and broadcast. But also when we looked at the undecided that were in that race is that, uh, you know, the Lake supporters that were supporting her, they were there and they weren't moving anywhere, but the, the folks that land up, uh, you know, gravitating to uh, Karen Taylor Robeson, uh, ultimately, it, it was it was kind of the lesser of two evils, but they weren't really voting for Karen Taylor. They're more voting for Carrie Lake, uh, uh, ultimately, that we found um, in our post-analysis. 
So let's talk about methodology and moving forward, because now it, to me, it seems like there's a whole new dynamic here. And that's independent voters, because Democrats vote Democrat classically. Republicans vote Republican classically. But there's this huge uptick in independent voters. How big of a role are they going to play in what you do moving forward to get the feel for what Arizona is actually thinking in these elections? Well, that's a great question, Mike, is that I think, you know, what's been interesting since the era of Trump is that prior to that, you know, elections, it was the same people, especially in midterm elections, which we're in right now. Midterm elections was always kind of the same people voted. So it was very, you pretty much knew who was coming out. But what we've seen with this kind of changing of the game, so to speak, is that, uh, you know, pollsters uh, across the country have to adapt to this new normal of the you have folks that are uh, participating in the electorate that haven't voted before, but also ones that normally would participate are not participating. So again, it's just really, uh, you know, making sure of, of, of being adaptable to the changes, but also uh, making it a, a larger group that you're actually able to sample from and not really just going to the usual suspects, as they say. Uh, so is there any data on the on the races, the key races in Arizona that we're seeing? Is there any data you have now where, where at least at the beginning where the polls are, do you have those numbers? Can you share them with us or are they out are they fourth? Are they coming soon? Uh, we have some new polling coming out. I think we poll, I believe, in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, we'll have uh, some new polling results. But I know when we polled back uh, about a month ago, we did some hypothetical matchups for uh, the governor's race. So, hey, how would Karen Taylor Robeson do against Hobbs, the Democrat? And then uh, how would Carrie Lake match up? And it was interesting between the two is that uh, Karen Taylor Robeson was actually plus one against Hobbs, where uh, Lake was minus six. So there's about a seven, eight point difference between the two. And and then people go, oh, so there's no way Carrie Lake can win. I go, no, not at all. Because what does this very much remind you of is where Trump was against Hillary Clinton when he came out of that contentious primary is that he was polling very far down compared to uh, uh, Hillary Clinton at the time. But same thing here is that, you know, she's starting kind of in a behind position. However, can she get Republicans to unite and can she, you know, get those independents, those moderates in the middle um, to chip away at those folks are, is really going to be the big uh, question or challenge for Lake. Mike, I always appreciate the time and the expertise, and I'm glad. I thank you again for coming on with the clarification, and I look forward to that when these new numbers do come out, you come on and explain them to us. 100%. You'll be the first to know, Mike. All right, thanks. That's Mike Noble, OH Predictive Insights. Just a little insight, no pun intended, into what happened in the primaries and what we're going to see moving forward. In a moment, more great stories from Phoenix Children's Hospital and the Giveathon that's presented by your Valley Hyundai dealers and Auction Indian community. That happens momentarily. The Giveathon for Phoenix Children's is presented by your Valley Hyundai dealers and the Auction Indian community. KTAR News 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Giveathon on the Mike Broomhead Show. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. And um, I spent some time at Phoenix Children's, about a, an hour and a half, and giving away teddy bears to children that were getting treatment and, and watching the really top-of-the-line medical staff that are focused on the care of these children. It is an amazing place, and they have facilities across the state of Arizona. This is an amazing organization that is focused solely on children in dire need of medical care, and they focus on these families so well. And that's why we're doing this. We are partnering with corporate partners and with people like you. We have people here in the Desert Financial Phone Bank all for one purpose, to raise as much money as we can to help let the people at Phoenix Children's and those families understand that 
we are here to support you in every way we can, and sometimes that means financially. Let's go to one of those corporate partners, Los Altos Ranch Markets, for another check presentation. Hi, my name is Prabhash Kaswadi. I am the Chief Operating Officer for Los Altos Ranch Markets and a board member for Cardenas Markets Foundation. Uh, we have been longstanding supporters for Phoenix Children's Hospital, and we're excited to be a part of this year's Giveathon. I'm excited to present this check, this check for $15,000 to the Phoenix Children's Patients. And I would love for you guys to join me in supporting the Phoenix Children's Patients by calling 602-933-4567, phone bank. Thank you very much. What an amazing donation. $15,000 is surely going to go a long way, and it's a great donation, and I love when these corporate partners jump in. The reason why we do this are these stories of hope that you get to hear. They're presented this year by Madame Holmes. Um, just weeks before her due date, Linda's mom learned her unborn daughter had an extremely rare genetic condition. It affected the development of the skeletal and reproductive systems. Children with this condition rarely live past their first year, but if they do, they're on life support. But not this young fighter. This is Linda's story. I had been admitted for signs and symptoms of preeclampsia, and I was at 38 weeks. They came in, they told us that uh, Linda was more than likely not going to make it. And, you know, asked us if we had chosen a name. To which I said, I was like, yes, uh, her name is Linda. And they said, that's great because it, it usually makes the grieving process a lot easier. Sorry, my OBGYN decided that that, she, that we were going to have to be induced so that I would be giving birth on my due date, December 25th. Asked my family for a moment. So I went into my bedroom, I closed the door, and I started rubbing my tummy and I started praying. This child is not mine. This child is yours. And if you allow me to borrow her, we're waiting for her. Around 3, 3.30, I started feeling everything again. <laughs> the doctor said it's time to push. And they had told us they were like, they were the one thing that we're looking for is if she can cry. Because the moment she cries, it means that she made it. Because with campomelic dysplasia, the rib cage will either so compact and tight that first breath of air, uh, they can't. Or it'll be so glass-like and fragile that when they take that first breath of air, the the rib cage sh- shatters. 15 minutes is all it took. 15 minutes. And at 4.30, I gave birth. They bring over an incubator with uh, this tiny peanut in it. <laughs> and they're like, nope, this is your daughter. And I'm seeing her through this glass. And I told her, I was like, Linda, you hang on in there. They told me that she wasn't going to make it past the birthing stage. She did. Um, they said her prognosis was a year. She's now eight. They told me that she shouldn't really be moving or really doing much of anything, that she was going to be in pretty much a vegetative state. They told me that she wasn't probably going to be able to eat. Right now, we're finally decreasing her formula feeds, and her doctors are hoping that we will eventually be able to wean off that NG tube. And she's eating. She's eating foods of all types. They told me that she wasn't going to be able to really move or have much mobility. Linda started crawling last August. 
she's still wheelchair bound but man should you see her in that wheelchair she enjoys popping wheelies looking and seeing fast cars and to her in her wheelchair she'll say I go vroom vroom <laughs> every specialist there they're just amazing at having levels of compassion of, of empathy they're not just trying to solve our problems they're trying to work with us to find a solution again life with her it's had its challenges and there are more more often than not we have to make adaptations but she doesn't really see herself as different or if she does she doesn't show it <laughs> imagine having that kind of a child and 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 being so proud of that child's growth and strength and they have so many concerns the doctors and the patients and their parents uh money shouldn't be one of them uh money should not be the concern we should be able to partner with this great hospital to make sure that they can give the best care without being concerned about the finances of it Here's your opportunity. That sounder means it's time for a match. Another corporate partner stepping up and they're going to match any donation you make. Now it's going to be SDB contracting. Every dollar you donate right now will double because they are going to match it during this time. Now's the time to jump on board. The Desert Financial Phone Bank phone number 602-933-4567. That's 602-933-4567. You can always text the word GIVE to 411923. You'll get a link there where you can also give. It's a great opportunity. Uh, Donations, big or small, are appreciated. Give what you can. It would truly help if you would partner with us. That is the train teddy bear express, meaning you could be a champion of hope for 20 bucks a month, $240 a year. You are a champion of hope. One of those beautiful little teddy bears will be given to these children, one of these children in your name. It means so much to them and for their family members. I got to give these bears out and we do. We hand them a card with the name of the person that donated that bear. It is really life changing for these kids. It changes the whole attitude. So jump on board any way you can. 602 933 602-933-4567 or you can donate by texting the word GIVE to 411-923. Coming up in a moment, we are going to talk about reorganization at a major government agency. We'll talk about that in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. If you have not subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, please do it. It's very simple to do on any device that you have. Never miss a minute of the show. Listen when it's convenient for you. It really is a great way to consume the show. And it's brought to you this week by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. You can get more money selling your home by going to carolhasthebuyers.com. That's carolhasthebuyers.com. All right, this is part of an ABC News report um, as the CDC is now going to have a reorganization happen. Uh, Rochelle Walensky, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, making some admissions of, of uh, some of the things they've gotten wrong at the CDC and what they're doing. This is part of that ABC report. 
In a statement, the CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, putting it bluntly, our performance did not reliably meet expectations. In a message to staff viewed by ABC News, she went on to say, to be frank, we are responsible for some pretty dramatic, pretty public mistakes, from testing to data to communications. As an agency, even with all the terrific work we do, we still suffer the consequences from these mistakes. Well, not only do they, and I know she's speaking in-house, so she's talking to her employees saying we. I agree with her. But it's the suffering of everybody else, the the mis-messaging, uh, the things that happened. So this goes on. I want you to hear more about this same report. This has to do with uh, missing expectations. The CDC director says the agency spent 75 years preparing for a health crisis like the COVID pandemic. But when the big moment came, they did not reliably meet expectations. And as part of the sweeping changes, Dr. Walensky is calling for internal CDC staffing changes. She also wants the agencies to share information faster and in plain, easy to understand language. That would be refreshing. Um, What about. All of the businesses that suffered dramatically. What about the businesses that didn't make it out of COVID? What about the huge amount of fraud in PPP dollars? Now, that's not a CDC problem, but it was created by CDC recommendations. How about this? If this is not a um, a stark reminder of what bad policy does, I don't know what is. This headline, I read this headline this morning and I thought of a couple of people specifically, a couple of my friends, um, and they'll probably know who they are if they're listening when I read this headline. New York's 9-11 Museum to close down permanently after COVID revenue loss. I let that sink in for a moment. One of the most tragic, definitely the biggest attack on this country, on its mainland, uh, in the lower 48, the biggest attack that's ever happened against this country. And the memorial at at Ground Zero in New York City looks like it's probably going to shut down forever because a part of their money, it opened in 2006, two-thirds of the income into the 9-11 memorial are from visitors. And they can't recover for the loss. They were shut down completely for six months. Revenue is down dramatically. I have a friend who lives here in Arizona. And uh, he's been on the show a number of times. His name is Mike McAvoy. His brother, uh, John, was with Ladder Company 3 in lower Manhattan. Their truck, their truck was paraded through lower Manhattan on the back of a flatbed with an American flag draping it, and it was then lowered into that museum. It was lowered in as a reminder, as part of the museum's reminder of the loss of life, both of first responders and civilians that were innocently killed by maniacs on that day. And they're shutting it down. It it blows my mind. I have a friend named Mike Angeloni that spent his career um, with the FDNY. He went back on his own time, on his own dime. He went back to New York and spent days recovering bodies at Ground Zero. And now that museum, that memorial, that museum may close down. And it's closing down because the COVID revenue wiped it out. The real effects of bad policy... 
what we argue about politically, and this is where I, 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 I don't mean this in a crass way. This is why I love social media, but I also love social media because I don't take it seriously. Facebook and Twitter are not real places. The people that argue with us on Twitter, that we argue with on Twitter, we don't know each other. The people that I debate and argue with, and you know, when you've got that limited amount of characters and the insults that get cast and the crass arguing and the just the one-liners that are out there, and sometimes the anger and the hatred that happen on social media um, pale in comparison to the reality of what's happened. Those people on Twitter, I could bump into them somewhere. If we had no idea what each other looked like, we probably would get along famously. So Twitter's not a real place. It's a place where people vent anger and just spew things out. It's just how it is. But that's not reality. Reality is people lost their livelihoods. We put masks on kids based on CDC recommendations. We sent kids home from school for almost, what, two school years. We are dealing with emotional distress. We are dealing with mental anguish. We are dealing with depression and addiction, not just from children, but from adults, from the shutdowns. All of these realities came from a government agency that you and I pay for with our tax dollars that got it wrong. And the recommendations from the CDC, why would anybody trust them? And this is the reality. So let's take some of the politically correct things that are happening in our world right now. Why would anybody trust the police after what they saw in Minneapolis or any number of places? Why would anybody trust any police officer after witnessing some of those things? That's a, that's the reality of poli- the politically correct world we live in. Well, I'm going to ask that question of the CDC. Why would anybody in America follow a directive or a suggestion or whatever they call them out of the CDC? Why would we pay attention to any of them? It was mixed messages. And Dr. Fauci, by the way, his job and his retirement are perfectly safe. Isn't he the highest paid government employee in the country? Lied about the masks. Admitted he lied about the masks. Saying he lied about the masks to stop people from doing things, then it was wear two masks, then only wear them outside, then never wear them outside. They never got it right. So, and the other part of the fallout from this, and I was not one of these people, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, I've been vaccinated and I've been boosted, is that the anti-vaxxers were right. It doesn't prevent you from getting COVID-19. And if people say that's not what we said, we said it diminishes the effects. That's not true. I got vaccinated because you said it was the way to prevent getting COVID-19. They got that wrong. Where's the accountability? There is none. You, I, I respect Dr. Walensky and her statement saying we've got to revamp this agency. But, you know, uh, figuratively, heads should roll here when you get it that wrong. And yet the anti-vaxxers were the ones that were the demons and the enemy of the state. You are the enemies of the country. If you are an anti-vaxxer, you were the enemy. You were selfish and you were killing people and you should lose your children. You should lose your job. And people did. There were people separated from the military because they refused to get the vaccinations. There are churches in California that are still facing huge fines from the county. Although the federal fines were reduced or or, or were gotten rid of because they they kept their doors open, all because of CDC information and guidance. 
I think the anti-vaxxers in this, and I'm not one of them, I think the anti-vaxxers deserve an immense apology from the CDC for what they put them through. Because it was their data and their information that demonized a segment of our society that just wanted to keep themselves safe in a way they thought was best. What a horrible failure. What a horrible failure. Coming up in a moment, um, Senator Manchin never said inflation would go down. I know you're laughing, but you're going to hear him say it. It's coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, hey, I want to make a clarification on a bit of a correction. Uh, the National Memorial, where the fire truck I talked about is not closing down. This is a satellite uh, museum that's a couple of blocks away. Uh, the principle still stands. We've got private businesses in areas that are closing down because of big mistakes that were made by the CDC. And I think that more than an apology is necessary. Um, I am not someone that is anti-government. Government, not at all. I, I know the government is necessary, but I am a small government person, and these are the reasons why. Um, we have a, states' rights should be the most central part of anything we do, and I'll explain why. And this should be something both liberals and and conservatives and independents and libertarians should all agree on in principle, because every state has a right to exist the way it wants. If Arizona absolutely had the right, just like Florida, Texas, and other states had an absolute right to handle mask mandates and shutdowns any way they saw fit. Our governor has been complimented and, and, and criticized for the way he handled it, and that's the way it should be. But when you have the CDC making recommendations and people relying on that information and then what billions, if not a trillion dollars or so later, we find out they were wrong. That they made huge mistakes. This is why when you have a bloated system, I don't care if it's the uh, Department of Education. I don't care if it's the Center for Disease Control. It doesn't matter. When individual states make decisions, uh, people in California have every right to hate Ron DeSantis and the way he runs Florida. But if the people of Florida want him, they should be able to have him. If California likes what Newsom did with the shutdowns and the mask mandates when he didn't abide by them, California has a right to exist any way that it wants. You want to be a sanctuary city? You have a right to do that. You want to say no to sanctuary cities? That Your state has a right to do that. We have empowered federal agencies. I'm not saying they're bad people, but we know what these systems are like. And the CDC got it wrong at a time when they couldn't afford to get it wrong. And the problem from the machine is this. And I'm not I'm not a conspiracy guy, but when I say machine, it's because it's the way we're wired. The CDC said it, the news people reported it, and if anybody pushed back against it, they were seen as an extremist and a nut. And it turns out they were more right than the CDC. So when somebody says, I want to do what's right for my family, and this has been this has gone on for decades, 
when a parent walks into an elementary school with their child and they say, I want to enroll my child in school and the elementary school says we need to see vaccination records and the parent says, I don't vaccinate my child. So give me the form that I have to sign the waiver, not holding you responsible if my child gets sick and I'll sign it. And they say, no, no, no. Our rules are that you can't put your child in this school unless they're vaccinated. And the parent says, no, I've been doing this for years. Give me the form. And the parent has to have an argument. And then eventually they reach in the drawer and they pull out the pre-printed form that absolves the school and the district from any liability. it has been happening forever. Whether you agree with them or not, they have a right to raise their children the way they want. And that's what parents were saying. I don't want to mask my child. I don't want my child vaccinated. I don't want to be anywhere near that stuff. And it wasn't just that the CDC said they were wrong. In public, they were called the cause of people dying. That's what they were called. So the CDC is a powerful machine. And instead of saying, and I'm I'm not a journalist, but instead of saying, this is what this group thinks and says, and this is what this group thinks and says. The CDC says this, this group disagrees. They were called anti-vaxxers, you're killing people. And you look at the businesses that were destroyed. Look at the restaurateurs that suffered immeasurably here or lost their businesses completely because of the what was done in the name of what the CDC said to do. How do you get that back? How do you get that back? You cannot. When someone lost everything, when there were businesses and there have been family owned businesses here in Arizona and startups, it doesn't matter just doesn't necessarily matter just that you were in business for a long period of time, that it's more sad. It's sad for everybody. If you've ever worked your tail off to build something, to have the the rug snatched out from under you and then to find out two and a half years later, the government doing Emily Latella. Hope you guys get the reference and say, never mind. And it's over. No, it's not over. America has a right to be incensed, has an absolute right to be furious at what's going on. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, there is a political ad made by teachers unions, and it's calling conservative parents extremists. Sounds a lot like the CDC argument, does it? We're going to talk about this coming up here in just a few minutes and the dramatic meaning of it.